Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is a CBC podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Today on The Dose, we're asking, how can you use science to talk to someone you know who's vaccine hesitant or anti-vaccine? Candidate now has a plentiful supply of COVID-19 vaccine, but a significant number of Canadians are hesitant or outright opposed to vaccination, especially younger people. Canadians aged 12 to 39 now have the lowest vaccination rates in the country. Maybe there's someone in your family or circle of friends who hasn't been vaccinated. Hi, Sabina. Hi, thanks for having me. I hear you had a birthday. I did, yes. I am turning really young once again. (laughs) Me too. So what's the best present you could receive during a pandemic? Ooh, a hug from a friend, a family member without masks. That would be pretty amazing. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Yeah. From your lips to the universe's ears. Let's hope that that is (laughs) what happens. Can I ask you to give us a hi, my name is, just ad lib. Tell us uh, who you are and uh, what you do and where you do it. Absolutely. So hi, my name is Sabina Vohar-Miller. I have a background in clinical pharmacology and toxicology. I am the founder of Unambiguous Science and the co-founder of the South Asian Health Network. Okay, here we go. I know people who don't want to get the shot. My first inclination as an emergency physician is to say, just take my advice and get the shot. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that when people are afraid to get the vaccine, you really need to understand what's really driving that apprehension. Very often it's actually based on, you know, a concern that they have. And so telling someone who is hesitant to get the vaccine to just go get the vaccine very often doesn't work. And what really needs to happen is that one-on-one discussion to try and understand what is going on in that person's mind. How do you get them to divulge that? Yeah, and I think that, uh, first of all, it's really, you should start in a place where you're actually talking with compassion and respect, right? And so you you start by saying, I understand that you would have concerns and apprehensions about these COVID-19 vaccines, you know, never before have we gone, you know, from identifying a pathogen to actually having a vaccine ready in under a year. So, you know, there's a lot that people don't know about the vaccine is, are there things that are worrying you or concerning you? Have you heard some things that are making you apprehensive? Let's talk about that. What's on your mind? What, what is it that is causing you to not get the vaccine? And very often there's a very specific question that the person has in their mind. And the thing is, if you don't actually know what they're concerned about, you're not going to be able to answer or address those concerns. And you find that that approach works, that you can get people to, to reveal in that manner, the first big question that's on their minds? There are times when it has not worked and there are times when it has worked. For instance, a, you know, a situation, um, a friend of mine who just actually got vaccinated last week, but we've been having these discussions and conversations for 
four months because at that time I was doing a lot of vaccine education and I would just bring it up and ask everyone whenever I had a casual conversation with them, you know, I would say something like, well, I'm getting my vaccine next week. I'm really excited about it. Have you booked an appointment? Um, and that would usually be, you know, my gateway to start talking about the vaccine with friends and family who I knew were a little apprehensive or concerned about getting it. And then from there would be like, no, you know, I haven't yet gotten my appointment. And then I would probe, oh, how come? Is there something that is concerning you? And then, you know, with this specific friend, we we found out that they were worried about fertility concerns. They were worried about side effects. And so that actually helped me, you know, start channeling our discussions towards the specific questions they had. Okay, you're concerned about fertility. Let's talk about what you've heard and let's see we can actually address these but ultimately this friend actually did get vaccinated last week and it took four solid months to get there is that another piece of advice be prepared that it might be more than one conversation in other words it's not going to be one and done where you're going to get them convinced after 10 or 15 minutes or even an hour Rarely. And so I think all the low hanging fruits in terms of people who had very, you know, minor questions that they wanted to ask, those people have already been vaccinated. Those who are yet to be vaccinated, it's not going to be one conversation. It might not even be two conversations. It's going to be multiple conversations. So keeping that open line of communication is incredibly important. You don't want to close that um, that dialogue down. Um, and that is why having that conversation with compassion and, and empathy is important. Because if you have a conversation conversation and you're dismissive of their fears or their concerns, they're not going to want to talk to you. They're going to dig in their heels even more. They're going to shut down the conversation. And then at that point, you've basically lost someone who you could have possibly convinced. Talking to friends is different from talking to family members who don't want to get vaccinated, isn't it? Yeah, family is so much trickier, I think, you know, I think with friends, it's just, it's easy because you can leave the conversation and come back to it, you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks later. Family, especially if you're a close-knit family, gets even trickier because you just don't have that time to decompress, don't have that time to think about it um, at your own luxury. So it definitely does get a lot trickier with that. I've also heard of many situations, you know, where grandparents would say that their grandkids are not getting vaccinated, but they don't want to give them ultimatums either because that would mean that they can't see their grandkids anymore. Whereas with friendships, you know, you could take a bit of a, you know, a breather from the friendship and come back to it um, later. You just don't have that same luxury with family, especially if it's a family that you're either living with, family that you see very often. Once you've determined why someone is reluctant to get the vaccine through the, the kind of approach that you've talked about, how helpful is it at that point to use science to counter misinformation? Extremely important. I think that science literacy is something that we haven't done a great job of building on um, over the last few years. You know, vaccine hesitancy is not something new. It's not as though, you know, vaccines came into place for for COVID-19 in December 2020 and all of a sudden vaccine hesitancy became a thing. Um, I've been countering vaccine myths and disinformation for over five years now on social media, especially in mom groups. And it's always been a thing. And so trying to actually address where where some of this mis- and disinformation is coming from, how to, you know, look at sources and understand whether they're credible, how do vaccines work in your body, how does science work? These are all things that you really need to have a good foundation and a good understanding of. So very often when I talk about vaccines to people, I actually take it down to the basics. I talk about exactly what your immune system does and what exactly does a vaccine do and how it's really your own immune system and your own immune responses that are protecting you, even if 
if you are getting a vaccine. Um, and I think that once you start laying some of this foundation of science down, um, it's, it's far less overwhelming. And so when you actually listen to something that's you know, disinformation out there, you, you realize how much of that information is just simply inaccurate because you have that understanding of science. Not to put you on the spot, but what's the most typical kind of question you've had to answer? I think very often I get questions that have to do currently with either fertility or side effects. Um, Mm -hmm. What I have noticed, at least during the last eight months, is that there has been an evolution of questions. You know, in the beginning, there was a lot of questions on how were we able to fast track these vaccines and how are they available so quickly? Does that mean due diligence hadn't been done? Um, You know, some of these low hanging questions like, you know, what is mRNA um, technology? Does it impact your DNA, et cetera? These are all questions that I would get in the beginning. And I think now people have very specific questions. Okay, I'm concerned about fertility because I heard this rumor or I'm concerned about this specific side effect or I have this specific autoimmune condition. Can I get the vaccine? So the questions are getting very, very specific now, which I think is really good because it shows that people's information and education on these vaccines is building, which I think is really, really reassuring. So someone, for example, uh, comes to you and says, I'm thinking about getting pregnant or I'm waiting to see if I'm pregnant and I just want to keep my baby safe. How do you use science to answer that? Pregnancy is one of my favorite questions to answer because as someone who is a mom to a little one and was pregnant fairly recently, I understand that a lot of these questions just come from a place of fear and you're trying your best to keep your baby safe. And I get that. I get the the concerns that come with it. Um, and so when it comes to pregnancy, you know, I think one of the important things to remember is that, uh, you know, while you may not actually be doing these clinical trials with the vaccines, we do have so many pregnancy registries that have actually released data now. There is data coming out from VSAFE in the U.S. We have data coming out from the Born Registry here in Ontario. We have lots of data coming out from Europe um, that are basically showing that there is no negative impact on the pregnancy or on the baby if you get the vaccine during pregnancy. The other thing we also have really good data on is to show how having COVID infections in pregnancy can in fact result in severe outcomes for, you know, both the baby as well as for the mom. But my favorite thing to talk about, you know, as someone who loves immunology is just talking about that passive transfer of immunity. If the pregnant parent is getting vaccinated, what does it mean in terms of actually passing immunity to the baby? And so the baby would actually be protected from COVID-19 infections. And so I think that is really, really powerful. I know the science as a physician, so do you. Others may feel less confident, and they're listening to our conversation right now. So, so what, what do you advise them to do if they're talking to somebody, either a friend or a family member, who's hesitant about getting vaccinated? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would say a couple of things. First of all, you know, find out what the question is that they're that they're concerned about. And if you don't know the answer to it, then that's totally fine. Look up the answers together. That's, I think, you know, the sharing of finding information is such a great thing to do, but always make sure you're actually looking at credible sources. So arm yourself with sources that you know have credible information um, and try and direct the person and yourself to go to those um, credible sources to try and get some information from there. 
always make sure that you're actually leaving them an out so that you're not, you know, you're not getting into a heated, escalated discussion, which just shuts down conversation. And the important part here is that if you're actually hearing that they have misinformation because of something that they read, what I love doing at that point is actually trying to get them to understand their own sources that they have actually looked up. So I had someone who, who brought, brought to me this publication um, and wanted to know whether it was the information was accurate or not. It was published in a journal that was the very first publication of this journal and published by the same author who wrote the article. This author also had a shell company that was selling certain uh, wellness products. And so, you know, my question then to them was, hey, you know, I noticed this journal that this paper was published in. Could you tell me if you've actually seen any information about this journal? Uh, can you tell me if you know anything about this author? And I actually asked them to look up this information. And, and then they actually went down the rabbit hole of looking up all of this. And they came back to me and they're like, okay, never mind. I actually don't want to know much about this publication because I can see that this author is not a credible author. But I think just getting people to understand and learn and do some of this themselves is so powerful as well. Well, because they're basically doing that really, really important hard work themselves. Do you have any sources that you recommend that break the science down in a way that lay people can understand and, and explain to their loved ones and friends? Yeah, you know, I actually really love some of the government health bodies. And so with Public Health Ontario, as well as with PHAC, which is the Public Health Agency of Canada, they have some very, really good resources um, listed on their um, on their websites. I also really like if you are, you know, someone from a racialized community like I am, very often I get questions from my community, but they want information that is tailored um, to our community because, again, you know, understanding that sometimes when these questions are coming from racialized communities, there is distress with um, healthcare and government um, agencies. And so what I really like doing is actually um, taking them to, to sites, to websites and, and organizations that are specific for their community. You know, when I'm speaking to someone who's South Asian, I very often turn them into the to our South Asian Health Network's website, because we have that information from our own communities, from our own communities, physicians and healthcare providers, and very often in different languages that are more accessible to them as well. I also really just love some of these Instagram SciComm accounts that, you know, not just myself, but there's so many of us out there trying to make science accessible. Um, you know, Hey Science Sam, for instance, is fantastic. There's a group called Focus Communications that I've been putting out these patient brochures, and I'm also part of that for full disclosure. Again, our sources that people can use for information. Because I think sometimes people get lost with scientific jargon. Sometimes mm -hmm. the numbers can get really confusing. And so what does it actually mean, you know, for someone in the public to understand? And how do we bring it down to that level where they understand some of these concepts without being overwhelmed? So I'm glad you've you've talked about the, the communities that may have good reason to be mistrustful of medical systems. And one of the things that you do is direct them to websites that are directed at specific communities. How do you overcome their instinct to be distrustful of, of all medical systems just based on past experience? 
I've done a lot of vaccine education for the South Asian community. And, you know, some of the things that I'm asked, I would do, you know, a two hour long vaccine education session. And the one question that would actually end up making an impact is them asking me if I was vaccinated. And something as simple as that, actually, you know, just leveraging that trust that they have with me was sufficient. So that two hours of vaccine education was great. But really, what was the icing on the cake was, you know, me saying, actually, yes, I have been vaccinated and my father's been vaccinated. And I talk about how I live in an intergeneration home with my dad with me. And, you know, sometimes I also, you know, speak in a language. If I'm doing it with my own community, I speak in Hindi, I speak in Punjabi. I think it's just leveraging that trust is just so incredibly important. And then also, you know, for me, what's really important is trying to acknowledge that throughout the pandemic, the South Asian community, for instance, and other racialized communities have not been protected throughout the pandemic. And so the question that comes very often is, you know, throughout the pandemic, we haven't felt like our health and safety has been important. So why now are you pushing the vaccines on us? You know, starting by acknowledging that, yes, you're right, and that we haven't done enough to make sure you have proper PPE. We haven't done enough to make sure you have paid sick leave is really, really important as well, because, you know, you can't really build trust overnight and you definitely cannot build trust by gaslighting. Off the top, I I singled out younger people because those in the 18 to 29 year old age range have the lowest vaccination rates. So how do you talk to them? Yeah, and I think with some of the, the younger folks, you know, it's not necessarily apprehension per se, but very often it's just complacency. Some of the younger folks feel that COVID is not a disease that would impact younger people as much. They don't really, you know, feel the need to take time out of their day to go get vaccinated. And I think that very often when I speak to younger people, what I do try and emphasize is that with the new variants that are coming in, the idea of, of young people not being impacted is not really true. There are tons of young people who are in the hospitals these days. And every time I say this, you know, I get a lot of people with their jaws on the floor because they just don't know this information. I also talk about how it's important to protect, you know, your your parents, your grandparents, someone who's immunocompromised in your families or someone who's going through chemotherapy right now. Just having that open discussion about how them getting vaccinated is going to help their own family and community is also very important. I can see from your approach or listening to it, you're not hitting people over the head with science, but everything that you're saying is backed by science. At what point do you decide the science isn't working and you give up and try other ways to motivate people to get vaccinated? (laughs) I think I always fall back on science as my go-to first step. You know, as someone who's spent their entire life in sciences, you know, I believe in the science behind vaccines so strongly as a first generation immigrant who waited in line for hours to go get vaccinated as a child who had kids with in braces due to polio in their class. I mean, I my first step is always to go to the science. But if the science is not working and very often I think people have just read too much information and they don't know what information is accurate, what information is not, you know, very often I do bring emotions into the conversation because because sometimes it is an emotional, you know, discussion. Sometimes it's an emotional decision that people are actually putting this on. So we talk science, yes, but I also try and put it into perspective, an emotional aspect and what it actually does to them, to their family, to their community. All of these things matter. We're humans. At the end of the day, our human contact, our human connections is what drives us. 
You, you and I have been talking as if the issue of getting more people to be vaccinated who are eligible to be vaccinated is is mostly a question of information or emotion, motivation. But I'm wondering about access. You know, is, mm-hmm. is access to vaccines still an issue for some people? Absolutely. 100% is. I'm still speaking with people who are unvaccinated just surely because they don't have access to vaccines. And when we talk about access to vaccines, it doesn't mean, you know, they don't know where to go get vaccinated or they have a mobility barrier. You know, that is also one of the reasons why people are not vaccinated. But I'm talking about the the worker who is working multiple temporary jobs. You know, this one person who I spoke to, who I finally convinced to go get vaccinated, was in a really precarious position. They are a temporary worker. So every month if they have a perfect attendance record, their contract gets extended by an extra month. And this is how they pay for rent and food. So if they take a day off to go get vaccinated, and if they're worried about having a side effect and needing to take a day or two off, they're scared that they're going to lose their job because of this. And so they basically pushed getting vaccinated every month because of this concern. And they're like, well, you know, if I have another reason why I can't actually get my contract extended, Maybe then if I don't have work, I can go get vaccinated, but they're not willing to lose their job, rightfully so, in order to go get vaccinated. And so these are considerations that we really, really have to keep in mind when we're looking at accessibility, because we have a really large percentage of precarious workers in Ontario and across Canada. Well, Sabina Bora-Miller, you have certainly persuaded me. I am blown away by your enthusiasm for this very, very difficult challenge that you've taken on. I want to thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Sabina Bora-Miller is a clinical pharmacologist and the founder of the website Unambiguous Science. Here's your dose of smart advice. If you're talking to a friend or family member who is hesitant about getting the COVID vaccine, Find out what specific fears or questions they have about the vaccine and use science to address them. Direct them to the Public Health Agency of Canada and other credible sources of information, like websites built especially for their community. Better still, look up those websites together. Keep in mind that younger people may be more complacent than hesitant about getting vaccinated. Talk about how Delta and other variants of concern put them at risk. Always try and see vaccines from their point of view. Don't expect to persuade family and friends after just one conversation. Sometimes it takes months of back and forth discussions. And one more thing, getting angry doesn't help. If the conversation gets heated, it's time to take a break. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBC Podcasts or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a solid and give us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Rachel Sanders. Technical operations were by Lauda Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.